0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. I need to wear my microphone. Do I need to say that all again? All right. Isaiah chapter 24. Isaiah chapter 24. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 24. We began this uh, series 24 weeks ago. Our goal is to cover Isaiah in 66 Sundays, and uh, Jeremiah will follow in 52 Sundays. And so we have the better part of two years, slightly over two years, in which we are covering these two major prophets, Isaiah followed by Jeremiah. And I believe the impact of this is going to be a blessing for uh, believers in our country as we watch the things take place. Isaiah gave the warning ahead of time, and then Jeremiah watched it. He watched the city of Jerusalem fall around uh, all around him as he was within the city, as the city was conquered. And so I believe we have doctrine that's going to sustain us in difficult days ahead, and I trust that uh, the Lord will be equipping us in this way. Isaiah chapter 24, as we get started, it's a new section. We've completed uh, chapters 13 through 23, which made up a unit, a block, Uh, within the book itself. And now we begin chapters 24 through 27, starting today and moving through the next three or four weeks. We'll get through chapter 27. This portion of Isaiah is called Isaiah's little apocalypse. All right. It's a a segment of uh, the book. It's a segment of literature similar to the book of Revelation, similar to Zechariah, similar to other portions of the Old Testament that are very apocalyptic. What do we mean by that? Well, I'm going to open with a word of prayer and then we will describe it for you. How about that? Before we get started, remember God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth in preparation for the study of the Word of God. Let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask Him to bless our time and His Word today. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for the privilege and blessing that it is to assemble together today. Father, we thank you for visitors you brought with us today and the the encouragement that comes as we fellowship one with another. And Father, we just rejoice in seeing your faithfulness unfold. Father, we commit to you our time of study that you might set aside distractions and hedge us about, protect us, Father. Open the eyes of our understanding as we uh, study to show ourselves approved. Father, lead us into this truth as you do every other passage, every time we come together. You know, we're not afraid of apocalyptic literature. We're not afraid of prophecy. Father, uh, the Holy Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And I pray as we study to show ourselves approved that you would reward the diligence, the faithfulness, the hunger. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Father, for they shall be satisfied. Satisfy us today. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, chapter 24 begins a portion of the book called Isaiah's Little Apocalypse. In apocalyptic literature, all apocalyptus means it comes from apocalypto to reveal, to uncover. And folks that find Revelation to be complicated or confusing are misdefining the term. The book is not the book of confusion, it's the book of Revelation. It's the book of unveiling. It is the unveiling of mysteries, the unveiling of things, making things known. And so we shouldn't be afraid of these passages or think that they're somehow mysterious or unknowable. They are exactly knowable, and we are accountable to pay heed to the warnings that are contained therein. Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. Ooh, that sounds bad, right? And it is bad, particularly for those who have to go through it. Thankfully, that's none of us. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, then thank the Lord that you are delivered from the wrath to come. And this is a destruction of the world that you and I do not have to concern ourselves with. And we will outline that for you as we move through our points of study today. Verse 2, the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor completely egalitarian, completely equal. The liberals today would love this because everybody is on equal footing when it comes to the destruction of the earth. No one has any privilege when it comes to your money or your your uh, provision allowing you to escape certain problems in life. Everybody will be subject to this wrath as the wrath of God is unfolded in the tribulation of Israel. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled for the Lord has spoken. This word, the earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers, the exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left." All right, I'll stop there. There's a a poem that begins, or a song that begins in verse 7. We'll pick up our details here so that we're not lost and we don't confuse ourselves ahead of time with what we're really looking at here today. Anytime you have a passage of Scripture that describes the end of the world, you've got to ask yourself, what world? All right? And don't just go with the easy answer to say this one. All right? There's actually more important things that we have to consider. Visions of the destroyed earth must be rightly divided, and hopefully this is an exercise that we're very comfortable with. We're familiar with. We've done so in other applications as well. If you recall, if we have a vision, Doug, if we have a vision of the destruction of, of, uh, if we have a vision of the destruction of Jerusalem, wasn't that interesting? How about that? If we have a vision of the destruction of Jerusalem, we have to rightly divide it to say, well, wait a minute. Was this Nebuchadnezzar's destruction? Was this the the Roman destruction under Titus? Is this the eschatological destruction under Antichrist? Or all of the above? What is the prophet looking at when he's speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem? Or when he's speaking of captivity? Is he talking about the Babylonian captivity? Is he talking about the global disbursement of the nation of Israel? If, we, if we're in a passage of the text that talks about the regathering of Israel into the land, again, rightly divide. Wait a minute. Is this the return of Israel from Babylon under Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah? Or is this the global return of Israel in the second advent of Jesus Christ? And so anytime we have a passage of that nature, we have to stop ourselves and say, wait a minute, let's rightly divide the word of truth and determine what is the context for this. What is the context for the destruction of the world? All right? And you say, well, how many times can that happen? Actually, a lot. All right? The destruction of the world took place in the angelic earth. It takes place in Noah's time. It takes place in the tribulation. And it will take place again, the final time, in the destruction of not just the earth, but the heavens and the earth at the, at the conclusion of the millennial kingdom. And so, as we rightly divide the word of truth, I think it helps us to understand which passages of Scripture are detailing which destruction or which uh, fulfillment as we understand it so if you ever want to do angelic studies like we did a couple years ago in uh, our second corinthians series well then these would be the passages you would consider you would consider isaiah 14 You would consider the five I wills of the very boastful arrogance of Satan who felt that he could become like the Most High God, that he could ascend above the heights of the clouds and all the judgment that then follows. We understand there's a destruction that follows his rebellion. There was an angelic warfare and a destruction of the angelic earth. And so um, given that this is Communion Sunday and we're always in a hurry on Communion Sunday, we will uh, not spend a ton of time on this, but just so that you're familiar with it, in Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 21, we realize it's when the rebuke when it says, nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. That's the corollary. He said, I will ascend. And God said, no, you won't. You will be thrust down. And that's the pattern for all of Scripture. He's opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. If you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, He will exalt you at the proper time. But if you exalt yourself, what's He going to do? He's going to throw you down. And Satan is the prime example of that. You will be thrust down to Sheol. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you. All right? In the humbling of the arrogant, God uses that as an object lesson to others. Is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a wilderness? Understand, when we read in the beginning was the Word, and, or when we read in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, well, how did it get that way? And we put Scripture together with Scripture, and we understand the angelic rebellion and destruction and the end of the angelic earth at that time. Who made the world like a wilderness? Who overthrew its cities? Who did not allow his prisoners to go home? Dealt with that at some length when we were teaching angelology last year. Jeremiah 4, verses 13, or 23 through 26 is another passage that speaks of the destruction of the angelic earth, where the world, the whole world, becomes Tohu Wabohu, with the same language we have in Genesis 1. I looked on the earth, and behold, it was formless and void, and to the heavens, and they had no light. I looked on the mountains, and behold they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked and behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens had fled. And we understand that both components of angelic creation, the terrestrial angels and the heavenly angels, were both in view in this context. Finally, Psalm eighteen seven. So we have the angelic world. We have Noah's world. You read about that in Genesis six through eight. It's spoken of in Second Peter, 2 Peter three six, when it talks about the world at that time was destroyed by water. Okay, he's not going to destroy the world by water ever again. Next time it's going to be through fire. The destruction of the heavens and the earth through fire. There is a destruction of the world in the tribulational world. Time and time again we're told there's tremendous damage that's done to this planet during the tribulation of Israel between the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. There is a third of the earth, a third of the earth, a third of the earth. And uh, death on an industrial scale that takes place in the coming tribulation of Israel. Many of these, like Isaiah 13:13, 13, 13, Isaiah 24 is our passage today. Um, we didn't get down to verses 17 through 20, but there's more description of this global destruction that's on the way. Isaiah 24, verses 17 through 20. We didn't quite get that far, but it says, Terror and a pit and a snare confront you, O inhabitant of the earth, earth dwellers. Then it will be that he who flees, the report of disaster, will fall into the pit. (laughs) There's no escape. Stay there and you're dead. Flee and you're dead. He who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. It's like out of the frying pan and into the fire, in terms of our modern expression. For the windows above are open and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard. It totters like a shack for its transgression is heavy upon it and it will fall never to rise again. The new society that Jesus Christ ushers in is a brand new reality and uh, we can be thankful for that. Not only for the millennial kingdom but also for the new heavens and new earth that are likewise on the way. Also Haggai 2.6 speaks of uh, this. Finally then the millennial world at the conclusion of the thousand-year reign of Christ will come the ultimate destruction of not only the earth, but the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth." He says, "Yet once more will I shake the heavens and the earth." And uh, Haggai two and verse six has its fulfillment. Second Peter three, which you may be already familiar with. You've probably heard these verses before. Second Peter chapter three. See, so don't think that God is slow about His promise. It is by His word that the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. All these uh, folks that are all worried about global warming are mis- maladjusted in their priorities, all right? Because there's warming on the way in terms of every molecule of the universe exploding in great heat. By His word, the present heavens and the earth that's contrasted with the world at that time notice verse 5 says the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed being flooded with water that's how he destroyed the world in noah's day next time around it won't be water he gave us the rainbow as the promise there's no more floods on the way instead it's going to be fire the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire Kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. All right. And this is going to be a clue that we'll deal with when we talk about who are the earth dwellers. Because we're not earth dwellers. We are not earth dwellers. We are a heavenly citizenship. And uh, it's important, I think, that we identify our terms in this regard. The Lord is not slow, as some count slowness. But he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish. You know why the rapture of the church hasn't happened yet? Because our God is patient. patient. Our God is gracious. And uh, part of me, of course, is sad. I wanted it to happen last night. I was disappointed when I woke up this morning and I was still on earth. But you know what? It's one more day of mercy. It's one more day that the, that the unbeliever can place their faith in Christ. And they can be rescued from the wrath to come. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. Okay? Put an Einstein equation to that. What do we do with energy and matter at that point when every molecule of the physical universe explodes into intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up? I love the application. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be (laughs) in holy conduct and godliness? All right, our God is a consuming fire. He is the God of justice, the God of wrath. Are we adjusted? Are we conformed to His justice? And it says in verse 12, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. All right. At which point, nothing else matters. (laughs) There is no matter. It's all energy until He creates the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, That's where the quote comes from, right there. And since I wasn't wearing my microphone earlier, it's good that we got that on the recording. All right. If you are with us in our Plan of God series, then you are familiar with this diagram, the dispensational chart. If you're not familiar with the dispensational Plan of God for the ages, then I would encourage you to get a Plan of God reader from the hallway on display out there. The, uh, the plan of God that outlines his program from Alpha to Omega it includes the stewardship of the angels, of the Gentiles, of the Jews, of the church. All right, Or as it says, angels, man, Israel, and church. We realize that the church is simply a parenthesis interrupting for the moment the plan for Israel. Israel will resume their stewardship once the rapture takes us home. And then following the uh, millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, Israel will lay down their stewardship and Christ himself will exercise his personal stewardship in the new heavens and the new earth, the dispensation of the fullness of times, a thousand generations of those who love Jesus Christ. All right, so there's your Alpha to Omega overview. That's a 30-second snapshot of something that takes hours and hours to work your way through and learn the details thereof. I should put a red dot, by the way, to highlight the fact that uh, you are here, okay? (laughs) in the dispensation of the church, the age of the local church. You understand, we're no longer in the age of the apostles. The apostolic age was unique. It was foundational. The New Testament was being written. We had signs and wonders and prophecy and tongues and all that good stuff. But that's complete now, as we are in the age of the local church, the culmination age for our stewardship. And when is this going to end? Do we have a calendar that tells us uh, a certain day, a certain time? No, we do not. It could end today. It could have ended yesterday. It's day by day, moment by moment. We are living in the imminency, the expectation of that blessed hope. At which point then Israel will resume their, uh, their assigned stewardship. All right. So visions of the destroyed earth must be rightly divided. In Isaiah chapter 24, we're detailing that third one, the tribulational world. We're talking about the destruction of the earth during the reign of Antichrist, during the time of maximum discipline upon the Jewish nation and upon the Gentile nations who are afflicting Israel. Secondly, we want to ask ourselves, who are the earth dwellers? Earth dwellers are featured in contexts where a heavenly people have already been removed And this is a blessing for us, not only here in Isaiah 24, but particularly when we get to the book of Revelation. And we find that the Apostle John is making a great big deal about, rejoice, O you who dwell in the heavens, and woe to you who dwell on the earth. And the the contrast being, of course, is that we are rescued, we are delivered from that wrath to come. We are actually face-to-face with Jesus Christ, being prepared as a bride, being prepared for her husband, while literally hell is being unleashed on this earth. All right? I'm not swearing. I'm describing the fact that the gates of hell are busted wide open. Every demon escapes out of hell and floods this earth. All right? In terms of the discipline, the maximum discipline that the earth dwellers are going to be dealing with in the coming tribulation of Israel. And so we've got applications to deal with here. You know, and it's interesting, too, when you talk about heaven and earth and the dynamic between them, Old Testament believers, remarkably enough, I mean, maybe this is hard for us because we're kind of trapped in our own generation or in our own context, but we, we, we look forward to going to heaven when we die, right? That wasn't the case in the Old Testament. They would go to Sheol. They would go under the earth. They would go to and be gathered with their fathers uh, to a place of comfort like Abraham's bosom or to a place of torments across the great chasm there. Nobody was going to heaven when they died in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Jews and Gentiles are earth dwellers looking to heaven. And we got scripture for that. They were looking to heaven. They were crying out to heaven. They wanted God in heaven to listen. They wanted God in heaven to answer. They also wanted God in heaven to come to them, which is what happens in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Jews and Gentiles are earth dwellers looking to heaven, yet expecting a resurrection on this earth. The hope that Job had is, I know that my Redeemer lives, and on this earth will take his stand. Or Daniel twelve thirteen, go your way, Daniel, and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of this age. That, that the, the reward for Gentiles and Jews, and from an Old Testament context, is an earthly inheritance. It's an earthly reward. Not so for you and for me. We have a heavenly citizenship. Our rewards are in heaven. Our inheritance is in heaven. Imperishable, undefiled, reserved in heaven for you. Remember, we are in Christ. So we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Even uh, even with the promises on the earth, like in Hebrews 11, looking for the reward, looking for a city whose has foundations, whose builder is God... But he was going to build it on the earth. That's what Abraham had to look forward to. And it's the angels that are the heaven dwellers looking to the earth. All right. So Jews and Gentiles are earth dwellers looking to heaven. And angels are heaven dwellers looking to the earth. That's from an Old Testament perspective. My, how things change. When you turn the page from Malachi to Matthew and you realize, wow, there's a whole new circumstance here in the New Testament. It's a whole new circumstance in the church age because the church is neither Jew nor Gentile, we understand. The day you got saved, you stopped being a Jew if you're Jewish racially. You stopped being a Gentile if you're a Gentile racially. God doesn't care who your parents are or were or your background, any other sort of thing. Every tribe, tongue, nation, none of that matters because in Christ we are a new creation. And the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become part of the royal family of God. You become part of the body and bride of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at these. We can take some time here. Slow down a little bit. Breathe a little bit. I mean, it is Communion Sunday, but we we do have a little bit of time anyway. And highlight some verses that if you've never been exposed to these, or even if you have... Write them down again, think about them, and then read them. Read them, read them, read them. Every day this week, just go through again and again and again and remind yourself, wow, I'm a heavenly citizen, okay? Even if you want to, make your own passport, okay? Heavenly passport. You don't even need to stand in line at the post office. You can just make this yourself. God's given it to you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven. Now this is the contrast, okay? Because there are enemies of the cross of Christ. And they're listed here in verses 18 and 19. Philippians 3:18 Many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction. We're delivered from that. Whose god is their appetite. It could be a food appetite, a sexual appetite, and you know, any fame, approbation appetite, whatever it may be. It becomes their God, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. And that's not us. (laughs) That is not us. We've been raised up with Christ. This keeps seeking the things above where Christ is. Set your mind on the things above. All right. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You understand what a difference this is? This isn't just, hey, you know, I'm happy to be saved. I'm happy to go to heaven when I die, but I'm in no hurry to get there, (laughs) right? You know, they view salvation as heavenly fire insurance or something like that, that, you know, I don't want to go to hell when I die, but, you know, of course I want to go to heaven, but that's a long time from now. And in the meantime, I'm having fun and leave me alone and don't tell me how to live. And how many folks do you know that have an attitude similar to that? Because they're saved and happy to be saved, but they're not disciples. They're not walking in the truth. They're not living in the Word of God. And they certainly aren't eagerly waiting for a Savior. Eagerly. What does it mean to be eager? What does it mean to be disappointed because you woke up this morning and it didn't happen yet? Man. Eagerly waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who will transform the body of our humble state? Oh, what a delight. The day he gets here, the moment that trumpet sounds and the Lord descends with a shout, we're going to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. We cast off mortality, we put on immortality, transforming the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Alright? Hadn't happened yet, but it could. It could happen before the end of this hour. It could happen at any moment. There are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled prior to the trumpet sounding and us being snatched up together with the Lord, to meet the Lord in the air. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. remember teaching this years ago. Ralph assigned this book to me. No he didn't. Ralph assigned uh, Philemon to me and Jude and a couple other books and then when I was in training, he said, "All right, I'm not going to assign a book. You, You pick your own book. What do you want to teach next? And this was what I taught. I've been fond of it ever since. Alright. right, First Thessalonians. Notice. Chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. Alright? The moment you got saved, you're not serving idols anymore. Now you serve a living and true God. And to wait for His Son from heaven. Look at that. We're servers and we're waiters. Almost like back in my restaurant days again, all right? We're servers and we're waiters. We're serving one another. We're serving the Lord, but we're waiting for the Lord to wait for His Son from heaven. We're not looking for prophecy. We're not looking for Antichrist to be unveiled. We're not looking for current events in the Middle East. We're not looking for signs and wonders. We're not looking for the signs of the times. We are waiting for His Son to be revealed. And no prophecy has to precede that. To wait for his son from heaven, who he, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus. Notice what does he do? He rescues, rescues us from the wrath to come. Are you afraid of Armageddon? Are you afraid of the tribulation? Are you afraid of it? You don't have to be. There's no reason for it. We aren't going to be here. We're going to be in heaven looking down. We're not the earth dwellers at that point. We are, we are going to be the heaven citizens and heavenly dwellers at that point of time. Still in First Thessalonians chapter four verses 13 through 17. This is uh, this along with First Corinthians, these are the two great rapture passages. "The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. My mother will rise." Alright? Any loved one you have that's in heaven today, they are going to rise first. Then, we who are alive and, and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I was dealing with somebody a couple weeks ago that didn't believe in the rapture. So well, what are you talking about? It's right there. Don't you have, isn't Thessalonians in your Bible? I said, look at that. The Lord's going to descend with a shout. We're going to be snatched up together with the air. With them in the air. He said, well, yeah, 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 but that's not before the tribulation. Oh, okay, so you do believe in a rapture. We're just disputing the timing on it then. Okay, it's going to happen. Everyone believes it's going to happen. All right, let's talk about when it's going to happen. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. All right, so we shall always be with the Lord. And then a passage that's not often thought of, I wish it was, we need to deal with it more often in this context, is John 14. In my father's house are many dwelling places. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And this is huge. Because Jesus is speaking on the night that He's betrayed, on the night before He goes to the cross. And He says, My Father's house already has many dwelling places. But none of those are yours. He has many dwelling places. And He doesn't say, I'm going to go and pick out one of those already existing dwelling places. None of those are for you. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and none of them are yours. But I go to prepare a place for you. Because, you see, he said, on this rock I will build my church. The church is future. These dwelling places don't exist yet, but he will prepare them. He's gone to heaven to prepare our dwelling places. Think about it. You know, he created the whole world in six days. He's been working on our dwelling places now for 2,000 years. Isn't that cool? Man, how awesome is that going to be? And if I go and prepare a place for you... By the way, this this passage destroys the mid-trib and post-trib arguments. All right? If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where? Heaven. That's why we meet him in the air. That's why he doesn't land on the earth. Why do we bother meeting him in the air if he's going to land on the earth anyway? That's the point. He's not landing on the earth anyway. When he lands on the earth, it's going to be the Mount of Olives to split it with a great earthquake and to go conquer the Antichrist, all right? We meet him in the air because he's not coming to the earth yet. He's taking us back home. That's what this passage here tells us, I go to prepare a place for you. Has he been doing that in Jerusalem all this time? No, he's been doing that in heaven all this time. So we get caught up to be with the Lord in the air. We don't just drop back down in Jerusalem and start, you know, conquering. We go to the homes that he's been going to prepare. That where I am, there you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, I don't know. (laughs) Okay? All right. So we are a heavenly citizen. We are waiting for the Lord's return. Once the church is raptured, this is huge, once the church is raptured, then the heavenly people are heavenly located. The wrath to come is going to fall upon the earth dwellers. Once the church is removed. Remember, we are the heavenly citizens. When we are gone, there are no more heavenly citizens on this earth operating as aliens and strangers, as pilgrims, as sojourners. No more. The moment after the rapture is 100% unregenerate on this earth. And they are earth dwellers, okay? Okay. In a sense, they are Old Testament believers again in Israel's stewardship. And look at all these. This won't take a whole, a whole lot of time, but <clears throat> look at these verses in Revelation. How many times do we have this? And it's what we're, what we're looking at in, in Isaiah 24. All right? This is why we connect Revelation with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah. Because the Scripture itself makes those connections. Revelation 3.10 Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, the hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Earth dwellers. Right there, beginning in Revelation 3.10. Revelation 6.10 They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth earth dwellers in revelation 6:10 more earth dwellers in 8:13 i looked and i heard an eagle flying in mid heaven saying with a loud voice woe 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 we've been studying isaiah now for 24 weeks right is woe ever a good message never even when it's just a single woe all by itself Here's three of them, <laughs> all right? Woe, woe, woe. To those who dwell on the earth. Because the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. That's, that's after the fourth trumpet. There's still three more trumpets to go. And then after the seals, the trumpets. And then we got bowls. There's still seven bowls yet to be poured forth. Anyway, there's more. 11, 10, 12, 12, chapter 13, chapter 17. The big focus is the wrath of God upon the earth dwellers. That's what the tribulation is all about. The Jewish nation under discipline for repentance, the Gentile nations under discipline, because, under judgment because of their um, hatred of Israel, because of the cursing that they have brought to the nation of Israel. Back to Isaiah 24 the tribulation of Israel will be like the days of Noah. Party all the time. <laughs> party all the time. I was going to get a clip of that song and play it, but eh. you know the song I'm talking about, right? Party all the time. You know? And yet, it's a bit of a dirge because as much as they want to party and marrying and giving in marriage and all of the other fun and games that they're trying to have, they're, they're running out. They're running out of wine and the, the judgment is destroying their crops and the the, the, the curse upon the fresh water and the curse upon the salt water and the curse upon the green plant. And, and it's just, it's, it's not a happy time on this planet. And so the new wine mourns, the vine decays, all the merry-hearted sigh. Not a good sigh, alright? The party is coming to an end. The gaiety of tambourines ceases. So much for the big music program in church, right? The noise of revelers stops. The gaiety of the harp ceases. They do not drink wine with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. At a certain point you just you're sick and tired of all the fun you're having. <laughs> right? Because it's carnal. It's 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 opposed to the plan of God. The city of chaos is broken down. Every then there's a so much symbolism within apocalyptic literature and you've got to take the time to break it down and understand these, these expressions. Every house is shut up so that none may enter. There is an outcry in the streets concerning the wine. All joy turns to gloom. The gaiety of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city and the gate is battered to ruins. That doesn't sound any fun. But then there's good news. There's actually a new song to be sung and the Lord, when He appears, they're going to glorify the Lord from the east to the west. A couple of issues here that we can deal with. Satan's uh, tribulational party is coming to an end as the party of the Lord begins. And I tell you, that's the real party. All right, that's the real party. Oh my, I'm looking forward to that. Communion is an anticipation of that. I mean we're going to have just a little piece of bread and a little drink and imagine what we're what we 're anticipating we 're going to feast we 're going to drink of the new wine and there's no more carnality there's no more fallen bodies there's no more obesity there's no more uh, drunkenness or intoxication. All there is is fellowship, absolute fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and so in verses seven through thirteen, the song is on a downward slope and fourteen through sixteen. It's a new song. Raising their voices, shouting for joy, crying out from the west to the east concerning the majesty of the Lord. From the ends of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. Glory to the righteous one. What a day that's going to be. Jesus spoke about this. Jesus said that the coming of the Son of Man was going to be like the days of Noah. All right. You can look this up yourself. Well, I'm giving you a lot of homework today, but you have an extra hour to use. So, no, you don't. Actually, you lost an hour of sleep last night. Anyway, Jesus explicitly prophesied that the day of the Lord would be like the days of Noah. Party all the time, right up to the destruction. The very day that the waters fell, the very day that Noah and his family entered into the ark. Isn't that something? Anyway, I would encourage you to read Matthew twenty-four and then actually more detail even comes in Luke. Luke seventeen, verses twenty-six through thirty-seven. That talks about the destruction of Noah. It also talks about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, other destructions whereby um you know humanity is just doing what they're doing, having fun. Thinking about uh Babylon, the day Babylon falls, and they're they're partying, they're they're drinking out of the, the holy vessels from the temple. And then the writing shows up on the wall that this is the night they're coming to an end too. Isn't that amazing? How arrogant is humanity to just party, party, party even while destruction is pending. You now Jesus rebuked that man and said, you fool, tonight your soul is required of you. Are you really that clueless as to the plan of God? All right. Look at the end of this chapter here. The um, hmm. Let's see, where do we leave off the judgment? Verse 20, the earth reels to and fro like a drunkard. There we go. Totters like a shack. Its transgression is heavy upon it. It will fall never to rise again. The whole order, the whole arrangement of this world is going to come crashing down. So will happen in that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high. But wait a minute. Why are the angels getting punished? What are the angels doing here? The host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. And we realize there's always been this dynamic between angelity and humanity. There's always been this element here between earthly politics and the power behind the throne. That's why when we study Isaiah 14, we can't tell sometimes, are we talking about the king of Babylon, the human being, or are we talking about Satan? Or in Ezekiel 28, we say, well, wait a minute, is that the king of Tyre, or is that Satan? And it's actually both in those passages, in those contexts. The fact that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is a fallen world, and it has been since Adam uh, relinquished his sovereignty to the uh, usurper. All right? It's a fallen world. The whole world lies, and that's why we need to make use of the world but not full use of the world. That's why we need to understand our role as pilgrims, as aliens, as strangers. That's why we shouldn't love this world or the things in this world. Alright, Because this world is passing away along with its lusts. So, the, the Lord, that's Yahweh, will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on high earth and they will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison and after many days they will be punished now i don't know if that bothers you or not it bothers me it used to still does a little bit i wonder okay why is satan not in hell already why 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 does he still roam free why does he still prowl like a roaring lion seeking to devour why do we have these demons everywhere why are the fallen angels allowed to be princes of, of earthly nations the prince of persia the prince of greece the prince of of uh, america all right well can't come soon enough they will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon okay oh that it were today well it's at least 7 years away maybe longer Okay. we don't know the I had the time frame up there earlier in terms of the cha- the, the rapture of the church Israel resumes their stewardship but that doesn't mean if if today is the rapture on March what is this March eighth, all right? It doesn't mean tribulation starts tomorrow. Don't start counting seven years tomorrow, all right? Seven years starts counting when they sign the covenant with Antichrist with the pre, with the prince who is to come, and there could be any number of days, weeks, months in between. Hmm. Angelic and human rebellion will be taken captive. See, in the meantime, God permits it to run its course. God permits it to go. Evil men and impostors go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. God allows in the unfolding of His plan, He allows for the rebellion to run its course. It's like when He brought Israel out of Egypt and had them conquer the Canaanites. He didn't do that too soon, did He? He actually let the, the slavery in Egypt last 400 years. He says the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Well, understand... God's permissive will in allowing Satan his, uh, his, his uh, way is not yet complete. In fact, it hasn't even reached the ultimate stage yet. Not until he takes the church out, restraint is lifted, and Satan has a free hand to do anything he wants to do on this earth. Let me tell you something. If that, if that doesn't motivate your evangelism, I don't know what does. Do you have loved ones that are going to be left behind when we're caught to heaven? They're going to be subject to the beast? to Antichrist and to his mark and all the wrath that's on the way. It has to run its course. And even when they are taken prisoner, notice, they will be confined in prison. It doesn't say, and immediately cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. It says, confined in prison, and after many days they will be punished. They're actually confined for the millennial reign. And then, They are cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Human kings are going to bring tribute to the conqueror of the world. Our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And fallen angels will be confined. Fallen angels will be confined. I'm looking forward to both of these things. I'm looking forward to Jesus Christ seated in Jerusalem and accepting tribute from the Gentile nations. What a delight is that going to be. Because nowadays our Savior is uh, is profanity. (laughs) Nowadays our Savior is a curse word. People get mad. They hit their thumb with a hammer and they shout Jesus Christ. Blasphemous. That's what they do. And they shout it in anger. They shout it in arrogance. They shout it in rebellion. A day is coming that they will bow and they will worship. I'm looking forward to that. They're going to bring their treasures. Okay? The wise men brought treasures. That's just a foreshadowing. That's just a sample of what he will accept when he's seated on the throne in Jerusalem. If you want, you can take a look. Uh, we've already seen it in Isaiah 18 and verse 7. Um, it's featured here. It's going to be featured again. It comes up a couple of times in the Psalms. Psalm 68, Psalm 76, verses 11 and 12. It comes up in the book of Zechariah. In fact, every king has to go to Jerusalem uh, in the fall, in the, the Feast of Trump, uh, uh, Tabernacles. And if they don't show up for the Feast of Tabernacles to worship Jesus Christ, they get their rain turned off for the following year, right? How rough is that? You think it's rough when your landlord shuts off your water or the city of Austin or whoever? Jesus Christ ends all rain for the nation that whose king does not go and worship at the Feast of Tabernacles. Read 2nd read, read 14 sometime. Take a look at that. Fallen angels will be confined. That makes it even worse. You know, in the Garden of Eden, they could blame the serpent. They did, right? the serpent, he deceived me. In the millennial kingdom, they're going to rebel and they don't even have a serpent to blame. He's been in the abyss all that time and they've been working to get him out of there. Which I find interesting. Satan is confined in the abyss, if you understand that. I believe other fallen angels as well are likewise confined because of this text here. He punishes the host of heaven on high. It's not not Satan all by himself in that abyss. And even the demons... There are various locations on the earth that are assigned as haunts for the demons. This is fascinating to me. It's like they're they're on display. It's like you go to Africa, you go on a safari, and you're looking at elephants and lions and whatever. And um, in the millennial earth are going to be these haunts. They're going to be like Damascus was, well, a great big one, absolutely devastated. And it's left as a haunt to the, to the demons, right? The goat demons, the satyrs, and all the different... Language of this in Isaiah 14, 23 and Isaiah 34 verses 8 through 8 through 15. Stay tuned. We're going to be there in 10 weeks. Okay? Isaiah 34. And these locations on the earth are going to be haunts. And believers are going to look at them as warnings. They're going to be object lessons for the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So stay tuned for that. You know something? Isn't it any different than what we do? We build these little ant farms or we build uh, hamster habit trails or whatever. We put we put uh, fish in a tank and and whatever. Angels are doing that to us right now. They're watching us and what we're doing. But a day is coming when the demons themselves are going to be in these haunts and they're going to be under display for us to go and look at and for us to teach the the mortal humans in the millennial kingdom and we're going to be teaching them about those demons. So stay tuned. We'll uh, talk about that in Isaiah 34. We've got that coming up. All right. Well, this is where we want to uh, break for communion. So let me close with prayer and then uh, we'll sing our communion hymn and then uh, take partake of the Lord's table as the uh, classes are also brought in. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth, and we thank you for the blessings that we have. And Father, we study these things because all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. The warnings of the coming tribulation, they don't directly affect us. We're not going to experience them. We're certainly not going to stick around to see Antichrist unveiled, to take part in the wrath to come. It's not our duty. It's not our assignment. Father, um, and yet, we want to learn from these passages. We want to make our applications the appropriate applications. We want to be affected, Father, by a sense of urgency in the imminency of the trumpet, in recognizing that if the trumpet sounds today, we do have friends and neighbors and loved ones and family members that are without Christ, they are without hope, they are without eternal life. And they will be left to the mercy of the one without mercy. Father, I pray that we might be um, eager, as we read already, looking for and hastening the coming day of God. I pray, Father, that we might hasten that day through our personal evangelism, that we might hasten that day through completing the Bride of Christ. Father, bringing the final believer into the body of Christ. I want to be the evangelist that gives the gospel to the very last piece of the puzzle, the very last member of the Bride of Christ. What a a day that is going to be, Father. So uh, might it even be today. We do thank You for the truth of Your Word and, Father, for making use of this message, it's, it's a whole lot, Father. This is a rapid-fire format. We're, we're doing a chapter a week. I'd like to stop and do more, but next week is a new chapter. And this is what You're giving us, Father. So thank You for it. Uh, help us to understand the big picture in, uh, in all these things that we study. I thank You, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.